Hey, well, good morning. It's so good to be with you guys. I've been in Alaska the last nine days. Not that you should feel sorry for me uh, for doing that, but um, I was able to go there with some, uh, some friends of ours from the church here to go visit uh, one of our ministry partners, uh, Kayak, which stands for Covenant Youth of Alaska. And it was, a, it was a really great time, and you'll probably hear a little bit about it here in the message. Um, but um, I want to actually start our time off together by sharing a little excerpt from a book by an author by the name of Robert Fulgen. And the book is called Uh-Oh, and he shares the following story. Ask a kindergarten class, how many of you can draw? All the hands shoot up. Yes, of course we can draw, all of us. What can you draw? Anything. How about a dog eating a fire truck in the jungle? Sure. How big do you want it? How many of you can sing? All hands. Of course we can sing. What can you sing? Anything. What if you don't know, my wor- know the words? No problem. We'll just make them up. <laughs> Let's sing. Now. Why not? How many of you can dance? Unanimously, again, all the hands go up in the air. What kind of music do you like to dance to? Any kind. Let's just dance now. Sure, why not? Do you like to act in plays? Yes. Do, the pl- do you play in a musical instrument? Yes. Do you write poetry? Yes. Can you read and write and count? Yes, we learn that kind of stuff right now. Try those same questions, Fulgen says. Try those same questions on a college audience. A small percentage of students raise their hands when asked if they draw or dance or sing, or paint, or act, or play an instrument. Not frequently, those who, raised the, who did raise their hands will want to qualify their responses with limitations. Well, I only play piano. I only draw horses. I only dance to rock and roll. I only sing in the shower. When asked why the limitations, the college students answered, that they don't have the talent anymore. They're not majoring in the subject. And they've not done any of those things since about the third grade. Or worse, that they're embarrassed for others to see them sing or dance or act. Can you imagine the response to those same questions if they were asked of an older audience? The answer, no, none of the above. Fulgham asked the question, what happened and what went wrong between kindergarten and college? What happened to the yes, of course I can? Unfortunately, the world that we live in, Fulgham goes on to say, is filled with people that love to get in the way of people living out their dreams. And in doing so, they have a negative influence on the stories that are being told. My brothers and sisters here at Hillcrest and those joining us online, today I want to share a message of hope and encouragement to you. More specifically, I want to invite each of us in this room to take on three specific postures that I believe will help us tell our stories better. Said another way, I want to help us put on the yes we can and put it back into our stories so that we might 
not only change the way we live our lives, but it might inspire others around us to do the same. These three postures are for everyone. Every one of us in this room, these, every one of us in this room can take on these three postures. Every one of us watching online can take on these three postures. No matter your age, whether you're a kid, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult, no matter your profession, whether you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life or you're brand new to your faith, whether you are filled with loads of faith and, and confidence or right now you're struggling with tons of doubts, whether you're a wildcat, a Jayhawk, a Tiger, a Chiefs fan, or God forbid, a Bronco fan, <laughs> every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a story that the author of life wants to speak into. And to help us discover these three postures, we're going to take a moment to open up God's word. Here at Hillcrest Covenant Church, we believe that God's word was given to us to change our lives forever. Amen? Amen. We ask the question, where is it written? So when I say I want to share with you three postures, these aren't three postures that I made up while sitting in the village of Shaktulik last Monday in Alaska. No, they didn't come from there. They came from the story of Priscilla and Aquila. And I want to share these three, three postures with us. And I want to ask you to let the Holy Spirit speak to your hearts. And I want to ask you to continue to let God write the story that he is writing in our lives. I'm not writing the story. God's writing the story. And may the power of the Holy Spirit convict us, challenge us, encourage us, Come alongside of us and help us live these out because I believe that if you and I can put these three postures into practice, the world around us is going to change. And I don't mean that in hype because we're going to see in this story it actually happens. And I believe it's happening. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. And what I want to do is I want to just start in verse 1. Actually, this entire week, I got stuck on the first two words of Acts chapter 18. And I don't know, like I actually had a whole message written up about the first two words of Acts chapter 18 until last night at about 7 o'clock. And I felt like the Lord was saying, actually, Nate, I just have those words for you. And so if I look a little tired, it was up a little bit late last night. Um, but um, the first two words, and actually the first verse of Acts chapter 18, verse 1 says, After this, that Paul, they, or he, Paul, left Athens and they went to Corinth. After this means something happened prior to the beginning of Acts chapter 18. And if you want to read what happened, I would strongly encourage you to read Acts chapter 17 when Paul enters Athens. If you ask me what are some of your favorite stories in the Bible, Acts chapter 17, Paul walking through Athens would definitely be one of them. It's a story of encouragement. It's a story that can teach us what it means for us to live in the world that God has planted us to live in. Paul sets an incredible example for us to follow. But for today... We're focusing in on Acts chapter 18. It says, after this, 
he, Paul, left Athens and he went to Corinth. Paul leaves Athens. Athens was the intellectual capital of the Roman world. And he comes to Corinth, which is the center of sensuality. Corinth was about 50 miles west of Athens. It was the closest major city outside of Italy in Greece. It was the center of commerce and trade. It was located on a narrow neck of land between the Adriatic Sea and the Asian Sea. And it was infested with certain strongholds of evil. There are racial discords prominent. There were family feuds taking place all the time. And political oppression. In many ways, Corinth was like many of the places in our country right now, many of the cities in our country right now. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that you and I live in Corinthian conditions today. And if there's any church in the New Testament with which we would particularly identify, it might just be the church in Corinth. Verses 2 through 4 in Acts chapter 18 say this. There he, Paul, met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. So even though Paul arrived as a total stranger to Corinth, not knowing anyone didn't stop him from having the confidence that God would show him what he was going to do next in his life, how God was going to write the next chapter of his life. And it was at this point that he met Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla was a Gentile Roman citizen from Italy, and Aquila was a Jew from the Turkish province of Pontius. And it says in the text that they both were tent makers, and they met each other at work. Now, if you look at the Greek word for tent maker, you know what it says? Tent maker. That's right. That's exactly what a tent maker is. The Greek word says tent maker. Now today we oftentimes use the word tent maker for somebody that uses their, their work as an opportunity to represent Jesus. Um, but in this context, tent maker meant literally what it says. They built leather tents for the Roman government. And that's what they did. And that's where they met. And Priscilla and Aquila had left Rome, it says in the text, because the Emperor Claudius was kicking out all the Jews as a form of ethnic cleansing. And because of this decision to get rid of the Jews, they ended up in Corinth as refugees. They now have no home, no friends, no family, no stability. They don't know the language. And it's fair to say that not everything in their life was going probably like they thought it would. Which leads me to share with us the first posture I believe all of us in this room and those of us watching online should take when it comes to allowing God to write the story of our life. And that first posture is trust, a posture of trust in the midst of chaos. Hillcrest, God uses the difficult circumstances in our lives that we are going through to point people to him. 
In our text today, Priscilla and Aquila are dealing with very difficult circumstances because of what took place in Italy. But through it all, we don't see any evidence that they complained about their circumstance. They simply keep their attention as best as they can where it should be. Even when it didn't look like God was going to do something about it. Hillcrest, like it or not, oftentimes in chaotic situations is when God does his most significant work. And I don't mean to say that and gloss over the hard moments you might be going through right now or the hard moments going on in the world we live in today. But his plans and purposes oftentimes move forward when it seems like God doesn't know what he's doing. We have certainly seen the situation this week as we just prayed for what's going on in Afghanistan, the earthquake in Haiti, the hurricanes, COVID. A few years ago, I was in Istanbul, Turkey. And while we were in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, we had the privilege of um, spending some of our time, if not most of our time, with Iranian refugees that had escaped, or escaped Iran because of religious persecution. And one of the people we met was an Iranian pastor. And as I was sitting down with him, I just asked him, brother, can you share with me your story of how you fell in love with Jesus? And he got a big old smile on his face. And he said, brother, of course. And he said, I used to be a really, really arrogant Muslim man that thought I was smarter than everybody, and especially the Christians in Iran. And he said, I used to stand on the street corners and I would challenge the people that I know were Christians to a debate. And he said, every time we would debate, I would destroy them because I knew way more about the Bible than they did. He said, until one day I met my match. This woman showed up who, who eventually became my wife, which was interesting. Good, good lesson right there. Um, and, and he said, she shared things with me that I knew nothing about. And as she challenged me, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me, and he said, a long story short, I gave my life to Jesus. And I started preaching and sharing the gospel with people on the very street corner that I used to make fun of Christians on. And he said, one day, I was arrested, and I was thrown in prison. And when I went into prison, he said, I was, he, he had his head down and he was like, God, what are you doing? I just gave my life to you. I trusted everything about who I am to you. He said, my life was chaotic. And I didn't feel like God knew what he was doing. He said, until I just sat. And I just, he said, I just sat and I was still. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, now I have a new place for you to share. And he started sharing the love he had for Jesus with the inmates that were in the prison with him. And as he started sharing it, their hearts began to mold and open up to Jesus. And all these inmates started giving their life to Jesus to the point where chaos broke out in the prison. And the guards didn't know what to do. It was not a bad chaos. It was a good chaos. And the guards started freaking out. They're like, what are we going to do now? All these people are giving their life to Jesus. They're doing what we don't want them to do. And so they put their heads together. They had a meeting and they said, okay, well, we got to get this guy out of this part of the prison. So they moved him to a different part of the prison. <laughs> not thinking that one through very well, were they? <laughs> so what do you think he did? 
right? In the midst of the chaos, he started sharing there. And all these people started giving their life to Jesus. And pretty soon this revival broke out in this prison of all these people that trusted their life to Jesus. And the guards got so frustrated that they kicked him out of prison, literally. (laughs) As in the midst of the chaos of the world we live in, God wants to do something with our story. And I believe one of the postures that you and I need to embrace is the posture of trust in the midst of chaos. Trust in the midst of saying, God, this makes no sense. I have no idea what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. I love what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11 says. It says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but what? But not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. Posture number one, trust in the midst of chaos. Posture number two, a posture that I believe all of us in this room can take, and many of you in this room lead the way for a lot of us in this room in this one. And this is the posture of hospitality for those in need. The posture of hospitality oftentimes opens up the doors that nothing else does. We see in all these passages, we see in this passage, the first thing that Priscilla and Aquila do when they meet Paul is they offer him hospitality. They meet him at work, they're tent makers, and they open up their home to Paul. It says later in verse 11 that Paul actually stayed with them in Corinth for 18 months, for a year and a half. And it all started with them having a posture of hospitality. Paul uses his time then with Priscilla and Quilla to share the love of Jesus with them, to encourage them with their faith, to come alongside of them and help them walk closer and closer with Jesus. He disciples them. He encourages them in their faith, and as a result of of their first Priscilla and Aquila's hospitality, Paul also provides hospitality back to them. It's an open door, not just for Priscilla and Aquila to encourage them, but also for Paul to encourage them, and ultimately for Paul to lead them to put their trust in Jesus. I love this quote from Andy Stanley. Andy's a pastor in Georgia, and he says this, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. The greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. And I'm telling you this as a pastor, what I have seen over and over and over again is oftentimes when we have the opportunity to walk with someone through life, it wasn't because of a great small group experience they had. Not that we don't believe in small groups. We 
100% believe in small groups. But oftentimes, it's the invitation to come to the golf outing. It's the invitation to come to go hang out at a progressive dinner. It's the invitation to get coffee. It's, it's oftentimes the things that happen outside of the walls of the church. Just like we see in this story. Priscilla and Aquila, they didn't meet Paul in the church. They met him at work. Think about that one for a little bit. Maybe the most significant ministry you'll ever have will be the ministry that takes place outside the walls of the church. As many of you know, Hillcrest loves to host brothers and sisters in our community that are refugees. We have a call on our lives. Scripture calls us to care for the widows, the orphans, the refugees, the people that are in circumstances that are very, very difficult. And we host monthly dinners. We used to host, and, and now hopefully soon we'll be starting to do those again. And we host monthly dinners where we provide what? Hospitality to our neighbors. And one day I was talking to my friend Muhammad. And Muhammad's this really, like, he literally looks like the Incredible Hulk. He's that strong. Like, I'm afraid that he's going to crush me every time he hugs me. And I'm talking to Muhammad one day, and, my, and I say, Muhammad, brother, let me ask you this question. What do you think your life would look like if it wasn't for this church? And he said, oh, brother, and he starts laughing. And he goes, brother, in my faith, we believe that when we die, we go to paradise. He said, but I think because of the love and hospitality of this church that I've already died and gone to paradise. Man, guys, that is amazing. And Muhammad hasn't trusted his life to Jesus, but man, it's, it's going to happen. And the entry point into Muhammad's life was the posture of hospitality. Taking the posture of hospitality for those in need should never be looked down upon. But instead, it should be an expected posture of all of us in this room. Which leads us to posture number three. This might be the hardest of all the three, but it's in the text and I want to talk about it. It's actually in Romans 16, which I'm going to read for uh, in just a little bit. But there's four times throughout scripture where we see Priscilla and Aquila mentioned. And in Romans 16, we see this third posture come into light. And this posture is a posture of risk that takes us out of our comfort zone. A posture of risk that takes us out of our comfort zone. And you might hear that and you might be inside be just freaking out going, dude, come on, man. Come on. But I'm telling you, that the depth of our stories, the depth of your story and the depth of my story will be found in the risks that we are willing to take for the Lord. The depth of your story and my story will be found in the risks that we are willing to take for the Lord. It's found in being over our head where we don't feel like our feet can touch the ground. It's found in places where, as our good friend Ruthie Anderson said a few years ago at one of our annual meetings, when we do it scared. Because we know that the only way something is going to happen is if the Lord steps in and does it. To see this posture 
I want to read for you a couple verses from Romans 16, where Paul says this, greet Priscilla, this is in verses 3 and 4, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. In this passage, we see that there was a moment where Priscilla and Aquila did something in their past that caused Paul to say these words. It affected his story. No one really knows exactly what they did. Some speculate that maybe if you read uh, Acts chapter 19, there's some crazy things that happened and it could have been there. But they took some kind of risk. They did something outside of their comfort zone to help further the gospel. And Paul gives them a shout out. And he even says that generations to come, generations to come are going to be moved and affected by this risk and sacrifice that they took. Let me ask this question. I don't mean this as a guilt trip, but I do mean this in all sincerity. When was the last time you took a risk for the Lord? When was the last time you took a risk for the Lord? It's a question that I think we need to wrestle with. I'll tell you one time, I was at the gym. I'll say this real quick. I was at the gym and I was um, waiting to play basketball. And um, my buddy was sitting down, is leaning up against the wall. And I reached down to help him up because it was our turn to play. And as I reached down to pull him up, he made the crassest joke about pastors I've ever heard in my life. I can't tell it to you because I'll get fired, okay? But, but like literally he says this joke and, and I look at him, and I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to respond to this? And I felt like the Lord was saying, tell him you're a pastor. So I said, hey, do you know I'm a pastor? And his, he, it was like his whole face was just like, oh, no. Actually, he said something else. And, 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 and I was like, no, 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 it's, it, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that... that this joke sometimes is a reality. And then he kept apologizing over and over and over again. And you know what happened? God used that story in that moment to open up a conversation that him and I had. The rest of the time at the gym, the next time I saw him, and not long after that, guess who was sitting where you're sitting right now? And guess who saw a side of Jesus? from sitting where you're sitting, him. And this man went on to, um, he actually was a professional football player, and he ended up going into a coaching career where he was surrounded by all these great um, football players at the University of Alabama. And before he left, we had a chance to just walk with him, and I was just telling him over and over again, like, bro, you have lived your whole life in front of an audience of 80,000 people. But now, God has called you to live a life in front of one, and it's him. And you get to take this newfound life that you have in Jesus and share it and influence these other people to walk alongside of them and to show them who you are, but more importantly, who he is inside of you. And that's what he's doing right now. And it's so cool. But it started with a risk it was a scary risk. I'm telling you, like, I didn't want to, like, it was really scary. I didn't think it was going to end the way it ended. 
But let me ask you the question again. When was the last time you took a risk for the Lord? And I'm asking myself the same thing because I wish I could say it happened more often. But I believe if we take the posture of taking risks that take us out of our comfort zone, I believe God is going to honor that. And I believe something is going to happen in our midst and in our community. And God is going to get the glory for it. I want to close by sharing one of my favorite quotes in life. It's from a man by the name of Mike Iaconelli. If you haven't read Mike Iaconelli, please go home, Google Mike Iaconelli, and buy all of his books and read them all. You won't be able to put them down, and your faith will be challenged in powerful ways. But here's what Iaconelli says. I'm ready for Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with an astonishment which is so captivating that I'm considered wild and unpredictable and, well, dangerous. Yes, I want to be dangerous to a dull and boring religion. If your faith is boring right now, maybe it's because you need to step out of your comfort zone and take a risk. And go where he calls you to go and do what he calls you to do. Not because you can do it on your own, but because of his power and his might, he's going to work through you. So I want to pray over us right now as Jason and the band comes forward. And I want to just pray that the Holy Spirit just speaks to all of us and gives us the courage to trust in the midst of chaos that we have the courage to offer hospitality to those in need, that we have the courage to take risks to go places outside of our comfort zone, both as individuals, but also as a church, because I believe God will honor that, and I believe we will see things in our midst that we could never control on our own strength and on our own power. So pray with me. Jesus, help us. Help us, Father. Lord, we can't do this alone. Lord, help us to take the next step. Help us to walk hand in hand with you. Help us to put our faith and our trust and our reliance on you. And God, I pray as our story continues to be written, God, I pray that these postures of trust and hospitality and risk would be sprinkled all throughout our stories. And in the end, I pray that, God, you might get the glory that only you're due. I pray this all in your name. Amen.